episode 72 of Retro Encounter, the RPG fan podcast of which we talk about old RPGs, special themed episodes, really any topic that we want related to current events. My name is Michael Solosi, and I'm your host this week. I'm Monsoon on the boards, and joining me is Robert Fenner. Hello, good to be here. Right, so we wanted we have some time to kill before we uh, start our next Game Journal episodes next week, and... When we were bouncing ideas around, Robert, um, we came up with the idea to talk about some Japanese RPGs that have never been released in English. Because, the, the, okay, spoiler alert for everyone, you and I both like Japanese RPGs. I, you could say that, All yeah. Right. Okay, okay, so we, that's out of the way. And um, it's worth noting that, like, say in the in the 90s, a lot of the popular Japanese RPGs were pretty rare in the Super Nintendo PS1 era. Like, they like they would come out, but they would often be some of the more in-demand, hard-to-find games a lot of the time, right? Low print run, high demand. Yeah, exactly. I- indeed. And in Japan, it's almost the opposite. They, like, because RPGs are the most popular genre in a lot of cases, they uh, games like your Chrono Triggers or your, or your Suikoden's are not rare games. There's just so many... Ma- they made so many of them, and only some of them were ever released in English. I think uh, this week we're going to sort of run over uh, a, num- a number of Japanese RPGs that, uh, that games that we wish had somehow made it across the Pacific to, uh, to an English language localization, but never did. I think we are having a lot of good luck now, and there's no yes. better time to be um, a JRPG fan. But um, there's such a wealth of things that we didn't get uh, back when the... Uh, particularly before Final Fantasy VII, before the genre really achieved mainstream Western success that, you know, is just uh, lost to uh, unlocalized obscurity. So, um, you know, there's so many great JRPGs out there and just, you know, you could play all the untranslated good ones forever <laughs> and and uh, not get through them all in one lifetime. Yeah, that's absolutely the tr- true. Um, right now we have, there's even a lot of dedicated groups who's you know who are directly attacking that niche like ser- searching for RPGs that are maybe that are niche or underrepresented and uh, and and you know getting them to the uh, to their um to their audiences overseas like your like your uh, Atlas USAs and your Xseeds and your NISAs and your Axises though the, um, the, all those groups like the RPG fan community is very well served nowadays even, Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, and it was not the case twenty years ago. So I mean, some of the games we're tra- we're going to talk about today are from twenty ish years ago. Some of them are a little more recent, but in ge- in general, there's uh, we'll we'll have a lot to talk about. So um, Rob, uh, go ahead and give me your first game, or perhaps set of games that uh that fit this category. Uh, well, sure. Um, if you know me, you know that I'm a really big fan of uh, Atlas's uh, Shin Megami Tensei series. Um, we've been pretty well taken care of by Atlas USA in recent years. Um, the yeah, two since, big since ones... The, since the early 2000s or so, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. We got every PS2 game uh, of that era. There was a bunch so, of those. Yeah, there's six or seven, I think. Um, the two big ones that everybody was clamoring for were Persona 2 Innocent Sin and Soul Hackers, and uh, those wishes were granted in the past five years, which is, which is great. Uh, but there's still a few that... Uh, we haven't seen in English uh, at all. Uh, I guess like the two most obvious ones would be Shin Megami Tensei 2 and uh, Shin Megami Tensei If, uh, which... 
I've, I've I think about, those have mobile ports. Um, in Japan, I think they do. Um, I've I've followed if a little bit over the years because uh, one fan translator that I follow has been working off and on on if for a long time. Sometimes that game, Gideon, huh? Yeah, yeah, Gideon Z, uh, uh, Aeon Tensei. So hmm. he um, uh, it's it's named after an old uh, British uh, school movie that I have never seen before. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but it, <laughs> shout I, out to that movie. That's a great yeah, movie. But I want to. Uh, I, I've heard that game referred to as Persona Zero sometimes because it's set in a high school, has some branching paths and some character relationship elements, even though it's not. It's not really a Persona game. But well, the um, main character is is Tamaki uh, Tamaki Uchida, who appears as a side character in Persona, Persona One. Uh, I thought she was in Persona Two as one of the detectives. Oh, she's in both. Oh, never mind. Okay, that works. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so that game's interesting, but what can you tell me about Shin Megami Tensei 2 and Shin Megami Tensei if beyond my just very surface uh, knowledge about it? Uh, well, 2 is a really interesting game, um, and I dare say it, it might be one of my favorite titles in this series. Um, spoilers for Shin Megami Tensei 1, uh, the world blows up eventually while you're playing that game. Uh, and, uh, and I'm sorry to interrupt, what system are these on? Uh, these are Super Famicom games. They got PS1 and Game Boy Advance ports okay, eventually, cool. and they're all on mobile. Um, as as some may know, the uh, the first Shin Megami Tensei game got ported to uh, iPhone uh, in English a few years back. Uh, but maybe not enough people bought that. Maybe that's not wh- maybe that's why we haven't seen two and if on mobile as well. But um, two takes place uh, several hundred years after this apocalypse, where. The world has kind of been rebuilt into this cyberpunk utopia. So um, it's a very like, it's a very technological advanced take on the uh, on the Shin Megami Tensei formula and this sort of uh, utopia where not all is right and uh, different factions have their idea of uh, who their messiah is and what role their messiah will play, uh, which ends up. Uh, Kind of like Shin Megami Tensei three with a um a, a war waged against uh the powers that be, uh as it is, um and uh, if is a little bit uh more restrained in scope. It's a it's a dungeon crawler through and through, quite a bit like Strange Journey if you've played that. I've I've played the very beginning of Strange Journey, but it was a uh, it was a little bit of a rough starter, and I had other games <laughs> I I, uh, I wanted to play, but that's a very interesting SMT dungeon crawler. Hmm. Ar- uh, Antarctic or Arctic expedition? Uh, Antarctic. Antarctic, right? Okay. And those, and so, those crazy space suits <laughs> <laughs> with the with the fun uh, smiley face, <laughs> right? The helmet. Uh, so if takes uh, it, it's like a predecessor to uh, to Strange Journey. It, it sort of takes a little bit of the old um, uh, Kazuo Umeda manga, uh, Drifting Classroom, uh, where uh, this school has been pulled into a interdimensional void and uh you uh either pick a male or female protagonist uh, as i said the female protagonist is, is tamaki from the persona series and uh you team up with uh, various students to uh fight uh monsters of solomon's key based on the uh, seven deadly sins and uh, try to uh, rest uh rest control of the school back from a um from a megalom- megalomaniacal goth kid who has uh summoned these demons to uh change up his change up his daily life yeah my understanding is that the uh the megalomaniacal goth kid was a was troubled or maybe bullied and he yeah and he sort of snaps and summons a bunch of demons and what 
other students you team up with to try and stop him has effect on the uh, on the ending or the uh, or even just the the events of the game in general. It, That's it, right. It, yeah, it looks really cool. And again, I I, I know a little bit about it just because I've been following a fan translation project of it. But yeah, we we don't have we don't have reasonable access to it, and not and also probably not legal access to a translation. Maybe maybe we'll see it eventually <laughs> in in an official capacity. But um, yeah, it, it's mean, been I mean, a number of years now since that SMT one port. So who can say? Atlas's RPGs are more popular than they ever have been, in in large part thanks to mm. Persona three and four success. We did get that mobile port of SMT one a year or two ago. Mm. So that's mm. not nothing. Mm. Uh, but before I uh, before I close out my little Atlas fanboy moment, um, I'd also like to mention the first Devil Summoner game um, for uh, Saturn. Uh, right, because which... Soul, Soul Hackers is the second one, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, the the Rido games are distant prequels. Um, okay. Sure. So, um, so the first Devil Summoner game sees uh, sees your protagonist uh, killed by a uh, a devil devil worshipping serial killer early on. Uh, and his his soul uh, ends up inhabiting the body of uh, Private Eye uh, Kyoji Kuzunoha, and you end up uh, sort of masquerading in his body and taking over his detective agency. Um, and Kyoji's not so happy about that, so he's got like he he assists you in this, this sort of spirit mentor, but not really out of concern for your goodwill, but just that he wants his body back. So he's quite, <laughs> you know, he's guiding you, but he's quite um, passive aggressive, and. Um, uh, frustrated about it. Um, so this seems like a really interesting game. I've played quite a bit of this in Japanese, just sort of bumbling my way through it. Um, it's got a lot of um, frustrating mechanical issues that Soul Hackers seem, you know, kind of fixes all of it. Um, the uh, your your demons they're very reliant on uh, their loyalty stat, and sometimes they'll even ignore their loyalty stat and just disobey you and you know, you'll get a party wipe. Um, so that's not so cool. Uh, it does have a really cool soundtrack by Toshiko Tasaki. Um, and, and this is another weird one that um, it, it got a very, very early PSP um, port. I want to say, like, maybe within si- six months of that uh, console's life. It, well, the PSP had a, a bunch of PS1 and Saturn ports, so it's it's not that surprising that, yeah. in, including Persona 1 and 2. I'm sorry, both including Persona 1 and both Persona 2s. So it's not that surprising that this one would get a port. Sure. Um, now, I've heard conflicting reports of why we haven't seen this localized. Uh, a lot of people have said that it was uh, vetoed by Sony because it's just a straight port that doesn't add anything, and apparently they were kind of cracking down on that in the West. But um, what seems more likely is apparently the source code for this game was lost. So... You know, instead of porting uh, it in earnest, they basically wrote a Saturn emulator that would just emulate this one game and uh, and put it on the uh, on the UMD. So, did it um, have some technical issues? Because that doesn't sound like the most thorough porting job. I I haven't played it. I haven't been able to get a copy of the PSP version. I have tried, uh, so I haven't been able to compare it to the original. Uh, but I do know that like making. Making games work on the Saturn, and especially making a game with like 3D dungeons work, um, required a lot of uh, jumping through hoops. So I imagine that you know trying to reverse engineer it and put in an English script might be a bit of a nightmare. So I mean, they, <laughs> that they'd sounds prob- very. They probably likely. have to rebuild it from the ground up, and who knows if that's worth who the wants time to do and that? effort? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did play the Soul Hackers uh, remake on 3DS. I it wasn't. Mm. Um, I didn't finish it, but. 
it, it was it was pretty good. It's like a good version of an, you know an older Atlas RPG, and it, yeah. it seems to have a, a similar uh, a similar story because um, Nemissa, demoness, takes over the body of the protagonist's girlfriend right, right at the beginning. That's right. And so and, I, um... I, I wonder I wonder if this that's a I don't know how common the theme is or how similar the two games are in that regard, but that's an an interesting similarity. And uh, and it's uh, Soul Hackers is the only uh, Devil Summoner game that I've played, but it is good. So yeah, hmm. I'm, I'm I I think that would be a cool thing to get in the future. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure how likely it is that we ever see an English language official port of Devil Summoner One. It's it's, it's probably unlikely, but uh, I still I still like listening to that soundtrack every so often. But what about you, Mike? Uh, tell me a little bit about what you've been clamoring for. Sure. Um, I guess I'll just jump to, ahead to the top of my list. The, my, one of my favorite RPGs of all time, which I have played an, uh, an unofficial uh, English-language translation for, is Seiken Densetsu 3. Which is, oh, that's a great game. Yeah, which is a, uh, um, a, secret, a, a direct sequel to Secret of Mana 2. Secret of Mana. Secret of Mana is in Japanese Seiken Densetsu 2. And mm-hmm. it's... Um, I think the only game in the Mana series that was never released in English officially, but there was a fan translation released for it. I want to say around '99 or 2000. And yeah, I, it was a fairly early one. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and right when I was getting into seeking out Super Famicom translations in the early 2000s, that was one of the that was one of the games that jumped out at me, and I adore that game. It's um, it feels like Secret of Mana, but it's a little bit faster paced. You don't have to charge up weapon combos. And mm. uh, and spell and spells come out much more quickly, and there and you don't have to level up individual weapons and spells by using them over and over. There's it's a more traditional level up system, and it also it's almost had, kind of like beat 'em up elements to it. Yeah, a little. Well, I mean, Secret of Mana does too, but um, mm. but Seiken it feels a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Seiken is three is snappier, and uh, and you're able to get bigger attacks out more often, and it it, it it's. It feels like a better version of the Secret of Mana combat system, and there's hmm. there's six main characters instead of three. You choose which three at the beginning, uh, which three you want for the whole game right at the beginning, and depending on the order of which you pick them and which one you pick first, has major story implications. And uh, and there's there's three final boss and end game scenarios that you can play through depending on who your main character is. And each ca- and there's also a branching class system where each character change changes classes twice, so. And so basically, every each of those six characters has four final versions, and each one plays wildly different from the others. It's it, there's so much variety in this game, and so much replayability. I have played it at least six or seven times, experimenting with different lineups and uh, and different endings and everything. And I, I I love this game, and it's extremely extremely mana. It has a great Kikuta soundtrack. It's very bold and colorful, and. Uh, not everything about it works great. Like the uh, two of the stats are bugged and don't work quite as intended, which, <laughs> which probably makes the game a little more challenging than it should be. Especially if you, uh, especially if you have an, uh, a character with that's a character with a high agility stat. But it's I I want a English language version of this game more than any other, and I'm but I'm a little unsure of how likely we'd ever get a port of it because I'm not. I'm not sure how popular the Seiken Densetsu series is in Japan. We've they've remade the first game in the series, which was Final Fantasy Adventure, then Sword of Mana, and then Adventure of Mana. Mm. Um, they've remade that one twice, and uh, there was a uh, I, I believe the the the, fi- the most recent one was only uh, was only ported to uh, 
to cell phones and and Vita, but Japan only. Yeah, I think it was like PlayStation Mobile. Yeah, it was like, I want to like, say. Like, I think it was like cell cell phones and iOS and PlayStation Mobile. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know PlayStation Mobile doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, so. exactly. And I think that that game has sort of ended its service as well. Yeah, and so. when and when they tried to revive the Mana series in the uh, mid two thousands, it was not very successful. With your what were they thinking? <laughs> yeah, they released just three awful games, and mm. uh, uh, and I played two of them, and I was very disappointed. Uh, they're among my most disappointing games on the DS. In fact, the two that I played, but the. But Seiken and Zetsu 3 is awesome, and it, it makes me a little sad that I'm not sure we're ever going to get it, because the really good the good parts of that series are Secret of Mana, SD2, then SD3, and then Legend of Mana for the PS1, and we and those games mm. have not gotten much shine in the 2000s, uh, other than, I think, a virtual console release of Secret of Mana. So, mm-hmm. and, and I think you can get Legend of Mana on Vita and PS3, I think. That's right, you can. Yeah, but it's but SD3, which I think is the best game in the series, has never gotten a remake and never gotten a port and never gotten an official English language release, which is too bad. It's, it's funny how Square just keeps, you know, keeps putting out Final Fantasy 4 while these games that are so uh, critically beloved uh, just, you know, like get one release, maybe maybe a PS1 port and that's it. It's baffling to me because I I think Seiken and Zetsu 3 has elements that feel modern, and it's and it controls well. And if they were, and if they fixed how the agility and luck stats work, then it would be it would run like a switch wa- like a Swiss watch. I, mm. yeah, I, I, it's a little surprising to me that uh, that Square has not given that uh, series a little more love. But I'm I I mean I I still have my weirdo 2000 translated version of it. Uh, hmm. On my PC, and I and I might yet replay it more more times because that game's awesome. But uh, have you have you played it through before? It sounds like you have. I haven't played it from start to finish, but I've gotten very very far. Okay. Um, it's one of those things that I've been meaning to go back and replay. Uh, I I played maybe maybe um, two thirds of the way through as as Kevin the uh, the werewolf, mm-hmm. uh, and I found it to be a really enjoyable time. Uh, and you know it's it's. It's one of those Super Nintendo games that is just aged incredibly gracefully. Um, as you've said, it plays so snappily. Uh, it's probably the height of um, Square's '90s chip art. It's it's just gorgeous yeah, it's, to look at it's a and very, so pleasing pleasing to the eyes and ear. It's a very late Super Nintendo game. It was '95, and uh, yeah. and right in the middle of that of that nine of that like late '94 to early '96 peak where the Square team released FF6, SD3, Super Mario RPG, and Chrono Trigger in the same 18 months. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so and it's uh, it looks fantastic. It's a late super a late Super Famicom game. Um, I think the soundtrack's really good. The boss battles are memorable. The characters are there's again six main characters, but it's it does get a little challenging if you don't know what you're getting into at first, and you mm. you know tr- play the game through without anyone learning healing magic, which is easy to do if you don't know which characters learn healing magic, or <laughs> if they uh, or if you you know put a bunch of points into agility for Hawk and Kevin, well when the agility stat is is broken, is uh. Yikes. So it can be it it can be it's a little easy to to mess up in that game, but it I, I think it I think it's aged very well, and I really want an English language version of it. But I'm totally uncertain with how luck uh, how likely that is because of how little shine Square has shown that series, and I'm a little worried that the series is gonna really fall by the wayside because again, the three best ones are Secret of Mana, SD3, and Legend of Mana, and those 
uh, I mean, those are all 15 plus years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, stranger things have happened. I mean, the Square recently put out that Romancing Saga two port uh, on right. on iPhone in in English, that's and even, apparently that's prob- the... that might even be more obscure than the Mana Games. Well, definitely, definitely. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that apparently that Vita release is still on the way. Um, I am holding out for that. A friend demonstrated the um, iPhone port to me, and the touchscreen was very very buggy. So, um, yeah. But okay. you know, if, if they're going to put out something as you know, obscure and and little known in the West is like the middle chapter of Romancing Saga. You know, maybe maybe we will see SD three uh, in some capacity at some point. I mean, I think it could be. Really, I'm not I too hopeful. It, but. I think it could work really well as a uh, as, as say a 3ds or Vita remake, especially since, oh yeah, especially since um, the menu is a little cumbersome to go through sometimes, especially if you're casting spells in the middle of a boss fight. So being yeah, able they to, need to fix that menu. <laughs> yeah, but being able to tap through some of that menu on the on the touch screen could work really well. I, I don't mm. know. I, I, I've maybe thought about this a lot, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So that game's on the top of my list. Seiken Nensetsu Three, which had had an official localization. So, um, what, what's next on your list, uh, Rob? Uh, well, I'm um, I am uh, something of a uh, something of a fan of old Japanese microcomputer games. Uh, particularly, uh, there's a uh, old uh, defunct development studio called Microcabin, who uh, who released a high number of um, interesting action RPGs and uh, and some traditional RPGs in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, most when you, notably, when you say on microcomputer, sorry. when you say microcomputer, yeah. what, are you talking about like PC Engine, or is this something else that's outside of my sphere? <laughs> uh, MSX, NEC, PC ninety eight, X sixty eight thousand, those those sorts of consoles. M- MSX, um, where where Dragon Quest co debuted along with the NES. Yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Microcabin are most uh, notable for uh, this uh, series they made called Zack. That's Zack with an X, not a not a Z. Uh, which is a, a multi-part action RPG, um, not that dissimilar to Ease, um, and th- the story's a little bit like the old Telenet uh, action adventure uh, Valis, where the, these three, the worlds of the humans, the, the fairies, and the demons are are in coexistence until uh, a demon lord tries to take over, um, and 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 you play this, you know, it's basic, basically ad, uh, at all, but with blue hair, uh, a uh, <laughs> adventurer with a magical sword uh, and you go hit. off to uh, defeat him with your friends Zack the Blue maybe <laughs> he's, he's Latok Cart I think is his name and his father's oh, name okay. Dork so that's, his that's father's name is Dork that's right well, I, bet his, I bet kids made fun of him in middle school uh, and um, the, the very first Zack game uh, Zack the Art of Visual Stage um, was a very very early fan translation I want to say it was like the first ever fan translation by this um, Dutch uh, group called Oasis um, and notably um, a little bit like some of the uh, Ease translations that would come later uh, this uh, this translation went legit and uh, was published uh digitally um on a service that sadly no longer exists called um well, called womb but with two o's so uh <laughs> here we are with just weird spellings all around today um yeah damn yeah <laughs> they play a little bit like a slower paced ease but they're very very story heavy with very striking you know 80s anime style character designs um so you know it, it, it's kind of like this you know other pillar of of um 
story rich anime esque uh, JRPG that um, that we never really saw and that doesn't really get mentioned. Um, and in Japan, anyway, the Zack Games got a new life on uh, the uh, digital service Project Egg, which um, you can think of as kind of like a Steam for retro games. Okay. Um, and Project Egg does have an English arm, so. I mean, maybe somebody could republish those games in English. So I mean, it's, it's, I, almost, it's almost like GOG, but targeting older Japanese microcomputer and PC games instead of old Western computer games. That's right, yeah. All right. Um, and, 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 uh, and Project Egg does have an English language wing, you said? Yeah. It, it, their, their selection of games that you can purchase uh, in English is very, very limited. I think there's um, licensing issues there. So they've got a very small selection, but... You know, who's to say that they couldn't add to it eventually? Sure. Um, but uh, the first the first couple of Zack games, um, they received a number of remakes, a little bit like Ease 1 and 2. Um, they uh, they got a, a TurboGrafx CD uh, remake in one package, as Zack 1 and 2, which was put out by Telenet, um, who um, Vic Ireland owns the entire back catalog of Telenet. So, oh, weird. Um, if anybody could make it happen, <laughs> we're looking at you. We're looking at you, Victor Ireland. Now, um, man, you want to talk about a character in the history of games localization. <laughs> oh, boy. I know that um, uh, he did have a game at E3 last year, and some of our uh, of our RPG fan co-workers spoke to him about it. I think, I think it was either Peter... Is that Peter... Summon Knight? Yeah, it was one of the Summon Knight games, one of the Summon Knight sequels that I think he was... Uh, it might have even been a PSP game he was trying to put on Vita. I'm not sure. But yeah. either, either Peter or Jesse or both talked to him. So uh, there's probably a preview on the on the site somewhere from a year ago about that. But man, Victor Ireland has an entire back catalog in his hands. That's yeah, you know, that could go a number of ways. Like a kind of exciting back catalog too. Telenet stuff was always just so so weird and um, other to uh, to the other games that were around at the time. Um, but yeah, the Zach, uh, the Zack series it's 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 big and it's weird. It's got an offshoot called Frey in Magical Adventure, where you play as uh, Latok's love interest Frey, and it's like a mix between an RPG and a vertical shooter. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, uh, they they've done that. It's a all over the bit place. Before. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but all I'm thinking of is Revengers of Vengeance on. Sega CD, which has the worst <laughs> worst title I've ever, ever heard of. That's right up there with Beyond the Beyond. <laughs> yeah. Which is a, which two is great a, games. Oh, oh God, well, be, I hate Beyond the Beyond, but I'm I'm not I'm not aware of Avengers of Vengeance. Um, they're both of a similar quality. Okay, got it. Uh, Microcabin also put out a um, an RPG for uh, microcomputers and the Sega CD in Japan called Illusion City. Uh, which I don't know if you've ever seen any of those old um, Hideyuki uh, Kikuchi stories, like uh, Wicked City or Demon City Shinjuku. I haven't. I no, it sounds familiar. I probably I probably had them referenced somewhere, but I don't know anything about them. They they were kind of like the the racier, violent uh, anime that found a home on. Uh, uh, early, uh, early localized home video. Okay. Uh, back in the day, um, and this is like a little bit of a less racy take on it, but it's obviously very inspired by those films. Um, Illusion City. It it plays like it plays a little bit like Fantasy Star Four, but it's set in a demon infested cyberpunk Hong Kong where you're. All uh, right, that's a bunch of cool adjectives. A private Eye teaming up with uh, other uh, ne'er do wells to uh, try and take back the city from this. 
from this invasion. Awesome. So, I mean, hey, you know, fan, a um, cyberpunk fantasy star four, I'm all about it. <laughs> so that would be uh, that would be a very thrilling one to see, I think. Okay, so a number of microcomputer games, including Demon City Shinjuku and uh, and the Zack trilogy. Was it was it a trilogy or more? Um, there's a trilogy, and then there's two side games. There's okay. there's uh, the aforementioned Frey, and then there's Zack and the Tower of Gazelle, which is um, something like the E's origin of the series. <laughs> All right, there's even a tower. All right. <laughs> yes. Awesome, man! A, a, a weird east east adjacent series. I'm, I I I wish I could try out some of those because I've I've been on a, I mean I'm a relatively new fan of East. I've only been playing the recent ones the past five mm. years or so, but I I love all of them. So I'm I'm mm. really and I'm very Zach curious. Yeah, uh, there is a there is a fan translation of uh, Zach Three: The Eternal Recurrence out there, which is absolutely worth playing. Um, I don't feel too bad saying about that because you know all of these companies are defunct now. Um, <laughs> the Eternal Recurrence sounds like someone had fun with a Japanese English thesaurus. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's a um, that's a Nietzsche thing. So that oh, that actually okay. is a thing. Oh, all right. I'm, I haven't read enough Nietzsche. I guess I've only played the Xenosaga trilogy. That's about as much <laughs> Nietzsche as I know. I think that's about as much as you need, really. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Somebody's I guess going to be mad at that. <laughs> Well, okay, that's a lie. I've also seen the Epic Rap Battles of History episode with Nietzsche in it, so I'm basically an expert. Right on. Yeah, so I guess it's my turn again. Um, one series that I it seems like I talk about a lot on recent podcasts, uh, so I, I apologize for rehashing some, or rehashing or, uh, or eternally recurring some of these discussions, uh, <laughs> is, uh, that, and that's Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem is similar yeah. similar to the uh, Shin Megami Tensei comments from earlier is more popular than ever right now because they've uh, because Nintendo's done a very good job with its recent games and the marketing thereof. So uh, a lot of Fire Emblem fans definitely know that the first one that was released in a language other than Japanese was Fire Emblem Seven, uh, the Blazing Sword, which is just called Fire Emblem in the U.S. It, it's a, it was a GBA game, so that le- leaves six previous Fire Emblem games that never made it across overseas, and some of them have been remade. Uh, Fire Emblem One was remade as Fire, em- which is a NES game, which was remade on the SNES as Fire Emblem Three, and then the Fire Emblem Three had a, the second half of that was a sequel to Fire Emblem One. And then those two half ga- part, those two halves of Fire Emblem Three were released as DS games. The first one was called Shadow Dragon and did receive an overseas release. The second one was never released. So we so ba- and also uh, Fire Emblem Two or Fire Emblem Gaiden is being released in just a couple of months and is coming out in May as Fire Emblem Echoes, a, a 3DS remake. So that's a weird game. Yeah, that is a weird game. I, I tried playing at various points all of the older Fire Emblem games, which were in various states of translation. But the only ones that I uh, I got very far in were Seisen no Keifu, which is Fire Emblem Four, and Fuin no Surugi, which is Fire Emblem Six. And uh, Six is the one with Roy with Roy as the main character. And I like mm. both of those games a lot. So, but in general, it, um, if we count uh, Echoes as having received it. Um, we've never gotten English versions of the second half of Fire Emblem 3 or any of Fire Emblem 4, 5, and 6. And mm. I think that 4 and 6 are excellent, excellent Fire Emblem games. 
four. Which, which one's Thracia seven seventy six? That's is that that's the fifth five. game? That's five. It's yeah. a it's a side story of four because um Leif, the main character of Thracia seven seven six, is a hmm. uh, is a character a minor character in the second half of four. Because okay, I, I've mentioned this in other in other podcasts, but Fire Emblem Four has two halves: one where you play as an early generation, and the second half when you play as their children. And depending on how you paired up the characters in the first half, the children have different stats and different abilities. Okay. And, um, and I mentioned on the love episode a few weeks ago that I had a uh, a bit of a crisis trying to figure out who to marry off my favorite character to in in, in the first half of Fire Emblem Four, because if I had uh, if I had her marry her cousin, her ki- her kids would have better stats. But if I had her marry a different character that I like, then one of her char- her children would turn out great, and the other one would have serious flaws compared to marrying her to her cousin. It's like so, Dragon Quest V. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. And um except there's much less incest in Dragon Quest V. <laughs> and uh but anyway, um Fire Emblem 3 is a very I think is the most popular of those in Japan. It had a uh, it it had it had the sales record for Fire Emblem until uh I think until the Wii one. And it was a uh and the, so the, getting the second half of Mars of Marth's story is, you know, would be of interest to Fire Emblem fans. And I did hear, and uh, the DS remake of that was supposedly good. It introduced the Avatar concept that was used heavily in Awakening and Fates. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, but um, I think Sh- Shadow Dragon didn't do that great, so they it never came out in English. Uh, the, the the second DS one never came out in English. Fire Emblem Four, I think, is awesome. It has a lot. It has a, its interface is def, does, definitely does not feel modern. But uh, the the story ideas and the character stuff and being the original like the originator or if not the originator the you know the first the first Fire Emblem support system that really had you romantically pair your characters together, mm. which is one of the highlights of modern Fire Emblem that a lot of people are into. Fire Emblem Five is noticeably a lot less. Uh, it has a lot. It, okay, uh, let me slow myself down. It has fewer trappings than FE Four. There's less of a focus on the two generations and on the story, and more about hardcore strategy. It's famously the most challenging Fire Emblem game, and it's really just about throwing a lot of difficult stuff at you. And uh, like, if you go on Fire Emblem forums, the consensus is either it's terrible or it's the best Fire Emblem game, and you're just a w- and you're just a wuss. <laughs> <laughs> and Fire Emblem Six is uh, the first GBA game. Um, it, Roy's the main character. Uh, Elliewood Hector, and Hector from Fire Emblem Seven are the main characters of Fire Emblem Seven. Have ma- minor cameos in this game. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, spoiler alert: they both die in the first twenty minutes. <laughs> <gasps> yeah. So is this is this like a sequel to Seven? No, no. Well, I mean, Seven is a prequel to Six. Uh yeah, that's what I, that's yeah, what I meant. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but you're right. And the um, Roy is Elwood's son; he's the main character, and Lilina, Hector's daughter, is uh, one of the main characters. And uh, oh man, this is going to get into some weird territory. But uh, it, it there, it's a bit controversial who the uh, who you think Lin in Fire Emblem Seven marries because uh, you meet Wrath, Hector, and Elwood's children in Fire Emblem Six, and she could be the mother of any of those. So, uh, so <laughs> hurting her mom. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, I have been on forums literally arguing that before, but that was that was a decade ago. And <laughs> um, so, Fire Emblem Six is rewarding for people that have played Fire Emblem Seven, and I think it's it's a really well made Fire Emblem game. It's a little bit more challenging than uh, than Seven or or Blazing. I'm sorry, than Blazing Sword or Sacred Stones. Hmm. But that's just because you get more. 
like the cast is larger, but their stats are typically all a little lower. And the uh, and and unlocking the best ending, which requires finding hidden options in six or seven specific chapters, can get pretty rough. But I, I think it's mm. a very well made Fire Emblem game. Uh, a lot of fun characters. Uh, the story is pretty cool. You meet the you meet the one of the main villains of Fire Emblem Six as a child in FE Seven. His name's Zephiel. Okay. Yeah. That's very cool. And so there's a lot. If you like Fire Emblem Seven, which is again just Fire Emblem in most releases overseas, there's a ton of references between them. Um, uh, you also meet Bartray's daughter, and uh, and like I said, Wrath's daughter, and um, the and Hawkeye's children. There, there's there's a lot of uh, connect, of connections and references, but um, I, I'm not sure if it's my. I don't know if I like it more than seven. Fire Emblem Seven is is one of the better Fire Emblem games, and six is more challenging. But the quest feels a little bit larger and has higher stakes. And hmm. uh, I, I think Elwood and Hector are a little are a little cooler than Roy. Roy's kind of a little. Uh, Roy's a little bit generic redhead swordsman, like you know. He's in Smash, though. <laughs> yeah, it's true, and and weirdly. Um, uh, Smash Melee came out before Fire Emblem Six. Roy was an advertisement. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, it, I had they, no idea. Yeah, they added the two Fire Emblem characters in there, and it's like, hey, here's Marth, the Fire Emblem main hero, and here's Roy, the hero of the next Fire Emblem game. <laughs> uh, do they do this? They did the same thing with um with the recent um Smash Brothers, didn't they? With with Corin, did the Corin oh. premiere in Smash before uh Fates came out? I am not sure. I would have to. I would have to check the timeline there. Because hmm. Corrin was DLC, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I and mm, I'm, I'm not sure which which came first the it's you know, a mystery the, the Corrin or the egg, <laughs> but the uh, but um, that is how Roy was set up. I, uh, I think both of those games came out in 1999, so it was pretty close. Hmm. And uh, and Fire Emblem Six was a very early GBA game, hmm. so it's a uh, but it but it's also a good one, and and it does have and both Fire Emblem Four and Fire Emblem Six uh, have full translations available because the Fire Emblem fandom is nothing if not dedicated. So uh, those translations have been available at least since the early two thousands when I played them. And, oh wow, that that long, gosh, um, yeah. Yeah, I well, I remember when I first played FE four when I was playing a bunch of Super Famicom stuff in the early two thousands. It wasn't complete yet, but then when I revisited it in college. In like I don't know, probably oh six or so, it was it was completed. So, it, but it's I, rem- it's, it's I remember been playing for... a very broken. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's it's finished. It's in a complete state now, but uh, yeah. but it's relatively more recent than your Psychic Ninsetsu three or Fire or uh, Final Fantasy five translations, which were like among the very first. Hmm. hmm. I gotta admit, I don't have that much experience with the earlier Fire Emblem games. I think Seven was the one that kind of turned me on to the series, and I, I played most of them after that. I missed out on Sacred Stones, but uh, I, I always kind of meant to go back and check out some of those earlier games because I was just so taken with um, the the music and and visuals of Five. So, um, so you think um, you think Four or Six are the way to go, huh? For for somebody largely unfamiliar with these earlier ones, um, yeah. If you if you have, I would play some of the more modern ones first. I think, um, because I think uh, seven is a little more accessible than four or six. And uh, seven's really good. Yeah, and, and seven's really good. I I really like the GameCube one, Path of Radiance. Uh, yeah. I, I, I sort of wish Fire Emblem games were a little more similar to it because I, I thought the bonus EXP system with the linear map system w- w- worked really well. So, but if you're a Fire Emblem fan already and want to go uh, and see 
go a little further back into the series, I, I wholeheartedly recommend 4 or 6, because it's also not that hard to find translated versions of either of those. Mm-hmm. And, but again, they're, um, and, and 4 is weird. It's, uh, if, you, if you pair your characters off and deliberately get supports in the first half of the game, then their children are extremely strong in the second half. But if you don't do supports, then the children characters in the second half are replaced with generics that have maybe 40% the stats of a good child character. So mm. if you... Uh, and, and, um, and some marriages always will happen. Like, you'll always have uh, Celis, because, um, the, because uh, the, the main character of the first half, Sigurd, always marries the same woman. And, uh, and uh, Ares, one of, the, um, one of the Cavalier's paladins in the second half, his parents are married at the beginning of the, of the, uh, of the first half. So you'll always get some child characters that'll be strong, but you, you really need to be aggressive <laughs> uh, playing matchmaker at the beginning if you want to make the second half, uh, uh, if you want to have powerful characters in the second half. And the second half is really easy if you do the first half and incredibly challenging if you don't, so... Uh, Sounds a little too reliant on foresight, like maybe yeah. having a guide handy. I, I used a guide to play it, and I'm glad I did because I, I definitely would have crashed and burned hard if I didn't. And um, right. and, and that's, again, a weakness of that of this 1994-95 uh, Super Famicom game is that it's a little esoteric. Going into – I would recommend going into to four, or, 4 or 6 with a guide because if, if you play Fire Emblem 6 without a guide, you have no way of knowing – um, the special conditions for unlocking the best ending. Oh gosh! Yeah. <laughs> Great, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, so it's they both have a lot of old Fire Emblem weirdness to them, and they don't have a lot of the modern sensibilities of of uh, of what you might see in a in an Awakening or even a Fire Emblem Seven. But I, I think they're really good and satisfying if you have a taste for the older Fire Emblem stuff. Hmm. Well, that's good to know. I think I'll have to check them out at some point. And. Uh... Hey Nintendo, um, there is interest. Maybe uh, see how Echoes does, and uh, maybe you'll want to revisit some of yeah, your. Yeah, we're getting we're getting Echoes in a couple months, and yeah. uh, and an unknown Fire Emblem. Oh shoot, fifteen or sixteen? How far are we now? Uh, we we're we're getting a Switch Fire Emblem in twenty eighteen. Mm. That we know nothing about. Oh, are we? Okay. Yeah, no, they announced they announced it um, alongside Echoes at the press conference a month or two ago. They they announced hey. New Fire Emblem on the Switch is coming, but we can't show you anything about it yet. There's a Fire Emblem Dynasty Warriors coming out as well, isn't there? there? Yes, I, Did, yes. Yeah, I didn't dream that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be Fire Emblem Musou in Japan and Fire Emblem Warriors in the U.S., and I think that's also Switch. So I, I think, you know, with, the, uh, with, with that being announced, we can see that Fire Emblem is well and truly back yes. now that it's got its own Musou game. Since I think I'm not sure exactly when the breaking point was, but Fire Emblem has been just growing in popularity since they started coming out in the West, and and Awakening damn near exploded in popularity. Yeah, and well, it, I, I heard and, uh, that similar to Final Fantasy One, Awakening was meant to be like the last hurrah. Right. Well, I mean, Final Fantasy that 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 story is apocryphal. Um, really, really, they were just picking English words to make a to to fit an F to fit the acronym FF, which they liked. It was almost, I believe that. it was almost called Fighting <laughs> Fantasy. Oh, they couldn't do that. Copyright. Yeah, exactly. So, um... Didn't stop Dragon Quest. True. Well, it did in the West, anyway. <laughs> right. But it, but regardless, Fire Emblem is as as popular as ever right now. I think Fates, sets, uh, Fates definitely set sales records. So we're going to just be drowning in Fire Emblem for the next couple of years, which also, running it back a little bit, I think getting a remake of Fire Emblem 4 or 6 could happen eventually. Because hmm. right now it's so popular, and they've remade each of the first three already 
on the DS and 3DS, uh, counting Echoes. That I, think... I never would have imagined a remake of, of Gaiden in yeah, English in 2017. Right? So. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised when I heard that. But, I mean, if they go on to continue this trend of remaking old ones, then, you know, Fire Emblem could be hit Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy territory. They may just remake all of them eventually. And oh, that would be great. And I would play a remake of FE4, which is called Seisen no Keifu, or Gene- Genealogy of the Holy War. I would play a remake of that in a second. I, I would be so excited to play that game again. Especially if it played, like, Awakening or Fates with all of the, uh, you know modern trappings and systems uh, that that are in those. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of Fire Emblem talk, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what we're here for. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know how much of that I'll cut out in the final edit of this podcast. But, um, uh, R- Robert, I know you have more games you want to talk about, so uh, let's hit one of them. I've got a few more. Uh, I think this will be on the list of uh, many, uh, many RPG fan listeners and staff, and that is okay. the... Uh, the uh um the middle the middle trails games trails to zero and trails in the blue right. the uh mm-hmm. the PSP uh, crossbell chapters of the trails saga where uh similar to the bracer guild but not quite i think i think you're a cop in crossbell state which is technologically a little bit of a step between uh Liberal in sky and erebonia in cold steel right and it, and it's a small country that's there's, like uh, that, that's, there's that's... vehicles and steam power yeah, but it's a small country that's wedged in between Erebonia and Calvard, and it's always being fought over by those two larger countries. Is my yeah, under- it's is like my understanding. That's about all. Independent city state, I want to say. Okay. Like Singapore. Sure, or hmm. you know, like a Greek, like a Greek polis or something. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know a whole lot about these games, um, but uh, I know that uh, many people are hungry to see uh, what they are missing out on in the Trails timeline. Um, you know, we we got some weird news at the time of recording. It seems to be that, um, you know, I know that um, Exceed were uh, very uh, vocal about their uh, want to translate uh, these two these two middle chapters, but you know, unsure if it would be able to happen anytime soon, if at yeah, all. They're they're from, they're PSP games from ten years ago. They are. Um, they did receive. Uh, they they received Vita ports, uh, which. Uh, apparently are pretty buggy, um, and also some uh, Asian uh, PC ports. So, I mean, there, I guess there is a way out right, there like, to... Um, e- E7 also had an Asia-only PC port, so that's not unprecedented, I guess. Yeah, and um, I think Salsetta recently had one as well. Oh, I, I want to say. Hmm. So, uh, but the the weird news that we had at the time of recording is it seems that you know, we don't fully know, but it kind of seems like maybe Falcom and Exceed are kind of drifting away from each other. Um, Ease 8 was just announced, and um, uh, NIS America are handling it rather than Exceed, which is a bit of a surprise um, to to many people, um, in, including Exceed. Uh, so, and a few a few months back, um, Axis was announced to be localizing uh, Tokyo Xanadu, which was a, which was a surprise. Very to odd, me because that's I mean, generally. You think of Exceed and Falcom as being thick as thieves recently, and and, hmm. they, and they've done a lot of great work together. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it was a little puzzling seeing this. But I I, I don't think they're they're on the outs necessarily because I mean Exceed no. is is still doing Trails of Cold Steel three and Trails in the Sky three. Well, I don't think Cold Steel three has been announced for oh, localization oh, yet. I'm, I'm just so. I'm just I'm just assuming. My bad. <laughs> but Sky Sky three will definitely be out uh, at some point this year. Right. Um, that's that's definitely confirmed. But um, 
if the two companies truly are drifting apart, um, I I can't really see anybody else taking a chance on on a pair of um, seven year old uh, PSP games, even if they are on on PC or. Well, I mean, definitely Vita. Nobody really wants to take a chance on Vita anymore. Uh, so I hope right. it's. I, I hope they. Um, you know, I hope they manage to make things work. Um, I hope that uh, three does very well. I know that I'm going to be buying um, Trails in the Sky three when it's available. So, you know, I think there is a, a great possibility with these uh, with these two. Um, yeah, but... I adored Scape Trails in the Sky one and two, especially two. Which I finished, oh yeah, I finished it pretty recently. I finished it right at the end of 2016. But mm, yeah, I finished it at the beginning of beginning of January. I want to say I've heard so. good things about uh, the Crossbell games, and I know the main character of the first one because oh, let's talk about advertising characters in a fighting game again. In yeah. in, in the alternative saga, East versus Trails fighting game, Lloyd is uh, the, yeah. Lloyd is the secret character in that, and I think it, I think that was out before his game debuted, but I'm not 100 percent certain. I think you're right. You know, I think yeah. that was yeah, that was around the time of E7, wasn't it? Yeah, it was because um, the game is in the E7 engine, and yeah. they they just added a bunch of Trails characters into E7, and then added a uh, added a added a, a, a you know a jump button to go along with the block and dash buttons. <laughs> but it, but it was. Uh, um, so I, all I really know about the Crossbell games is that the main character fights with Tonfas, but those games are so a cool well... uniform. Yeah, he does have a cool uniform. Um, but those games are so well written that I will play any of them that come out, time permitting, because they're also long. Mm. But they, uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested in any trails that uh, that Falcom gives us in English. And but again, because of the timing of them, these are games from eight, nine, ten years ago, and. Uh, and because of the uncertainty of who would localize them, I, th- I think there's a chance that we get both of them. But Exceed's mm. much more focused on 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 staying current, and we're not yeah. we're not sure if they have the same relationship with Falcom anymore. It's it's uncertain, but I, I don't think the chance I don't think the possibilities is uh, is eliminated. We we well, still may get them. We we say staying current, but they released a 12 year old game in Xanadu Next about three months ago. That's so true. strange, to- stranger things have happened. And Tokyo Xanadu is coming out uh, this um, this summer or fall, I think, and it came out in fall of 2015. So yeah, uh, yeah, I think so, I think both staying current ish. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that's my Falcom soapbox. All right, I'm gonna st- I'm gonna stick to the '90s because I basically have been living in the '90s since the uh, since the late 2000s at least. Uh, um, Square Enix, or I'll just say Square in general, did put out a lot of uh, RPGs back then that we didn't get nowadays, and one that um, hits me almost as strongly as Seiken Nsetsu Three is Bahamut Lagoon. Oh yeah, is, yeah, which is a very cool tactical RPG that I. I think it has a full translation available. I tried playing it once 10 or 15 years ago and didn't finish it, but I got pretty far. But it has a lot I of... i got to admit, I was baffled by this one. I did yeah, try it. It's, it has a lot of weird mechanics to it and um, a lot of secrets that make the game a little hard if you avoid them. Like when I, I played it for a while and checked a guide and realized I had missed recruiting two characters that are like crucially uh, strong. So I ended up re- uh, restarting and getting those. So there's a lot of weird uh, nooks and crannies in that game. But it's a tactical RPG where you control units that are assigned to dragons. Basically, you're, you have dragons flying around the battlefield and then human units in groups of, I want to say, four or five, um, like, riding the dragons. 
and it looks mm. like a it looks like a tactics ogre or a fire emblem game that it's a a, a square panel based tactical rpg but it's um it's a bunch of dragons and airships and it's really cool for uh and and again it's in that uh square heyday in this in the middle 90s is when it came out so if it were to get a remake with some you know modern sensibilities to it i would have no objections at all and buy the hell out of it mm. but i i don't I, admittedly i don't feel as strongly about this one as i do Fire Emblem Six or Second Insetsu Three. Square's chip art dragons were always a sight to behold. Just the the level of uh, detail and dedication they put into these uh, very large uh, pixelated sprites was always really impressive to me. Um, I it's been a while since I played Bahamut Lagoon, but I want to say that they kind of resembled you know some of the nastier the, the characters who were on your side, the dragons who were on your side, kind of resembled some of the nastier bosses you'd see in like Romancing Saga Three or, or yeah. even Final Fantasy Six. Yeah, it, yes, it has a um they have a weird sort of twisty art to them where the, the, mm. the n- very few of the dragons look like traditional, you know, lar- like a uh, uh, serpentine or lizard-like bodies and large wings than that you would see in a in you know traditional fantasy. But the uh but and and, and there's also systems for feeding the dragons and having them grow and evolve. Uh it, as a sort of a subsystem, but it's it, it, it's it's an interesting uh, um, strategy RPG of that era with a lot of a lot of personality. Like um, between fights, yeah. you can talk to all of your characters on the uh, on the airship, and you see little you see little romances develop, even though you can't manipulate them. And the the two lancers okay. the two lancers are always playing pranks on each other, uh, and and each and uh, between each fight, there there's one of them's playing a different prank on the other, and. Uh, there, it's it, there's a lot of personality and weirdness to this game, and I'm not surprised it never got a localization. But it's um it's interesting and cool, and you know, strategy RPG about dragons and airships sounds pretty dope on the surface. So hmm. I I wouldn't mind seeing them revisit revisit it, but I don't think it's high on Square Enix's list of remakes. There was that Blood of Bahamut game on DS. I'm not yeah, sure if that... that was was that like a spiritual sequel or. People, I don't know I th- much about that. I, I don't think they uh, they meant they mentioned Bahamut Lagoon in the materials for that, but like fans reacting to the news said words like spiritual sequel. Mm-hmm. But I don't. Well, think I, it's... I think it was another strategy game with dragons in it. So right, and made yeah. by Square Enix. So like, of course, yeah. of course, people would make that connection. Mm-hmm. But I never heard much about that game. Did it, it didn't come out in the United States, and uh... it did not. And I don't, I don't know what the reception like was it was on it either. Maybe we can add that to our little list. <laughs> I, I wish yeah. I, I wish that one got got a localization. Yeah, I I know so little about it. I remember seeing some of the concept art and thinking that it was really really lovely. But uh, I, I, remember I haven't actually I remember seen the game in most. Yeah, I remember its announcement and remember seeing some uh, some art, but I I never followed its release. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I I, I think. Um... I think Square in the uh, in the mid '90s were probably at their most like weirdest and creative and experimental and and almost exciting really. Um, all, all those sort of you know these these little weird weird experiments that they do that you know sometimes see in English in the form of you know games like Vagrant Story or mm-hmm. um, Bushido Blade um, and and then you know all this weird Japan only stuff like Bahamut Lagoon and then like Racing Lagoon. Which I think um, right. I think um, Mike Salvato wanted us to mention. Yeah, he, no, he mentioned that when we were planning this episode, he brought up Racing Lagoon, which is a game I had never heard of. You it's hadn't? A, oh, no, wow. some kind of like future cyberpunk uh, car racing, street racing RPG. 
I think it's modern day rather than cyberpunk. Okay, well, I mean, kind uh, of... the the image that he showed of the uh, of the city where some of the game takes place was so shiny and modern looking. It it maybe seemed like cyberpunk, but that, yeah, I was, I was probably projecting. Yeah, that was an early uh, Nomura game. I want to say, I want to say that's right. Um, yeah, where you know you'd get into a random battle street races, um, driving around this world map. Um, I think maybe a little bit of that has. Uh, I've I've been playing Yakuza Five recently, and I think maybe a little bit of of uh, Racing Lagoon's ideas have made it over into that game, where you know you're driving a taxi cab, and sometimes you get challenged to um, a ridiculous street race on the highway, and uh, you know you complete races and level up, and then you can tune your car. But I never actually played Racing Lagoon. I always wanted to because I thought like the racing RPG was such a cool idea. Yeah, that that is a cool idea, and um. Yeah, I, I I always like subsystems in RPGs, like uh, whether it's romance or leveling something up besides your characters. Uh, yeah. When when those are done creatively and effectively, I I always enjoy them. Whether it's a social link system in Persona or jumping inside your swords to level them up in Disgaea. Mm. But the idea of a car racing RPG where you can tune your car in between story segments and matches is very appealing to me. That sounds like something. That sounds like it sounds like we should have gotten eight games of racing lagoon instead of one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would be down with it um I, there was a final lap rpg on the on the turbo graphics but um i think that's the only racing rpg we've really seen in english <laughs> and some of the uh some of the most popular car racing arcade games in japan like your initial d's uh do have leveling up systems and upgrades that you can do by by buying a card and like swiping it every time you play it at the arcade yeah, have you ever played one of those? I have because one of my close friends is very, very into arcade racing games, and he actually yeah. he would seek out and find out where the initial D machines were in our area, and uh, and play them. And he showed me them a couple times. So I've 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 messed around, but not really, not seriously played any of them. But, I've but... played it maybe once. I've still got an initial D card somewhere that says "fart" on it because I'm a child. <laughs> awesome. I miss the days of having like uh, arcade games at movie theaters. I was really upset when um, uh, one of my favorite racing game sequels, H2O Overdrive, was went to one of my local theaters and was only there for about a month before it got took, taken away. I was devastated. Oh. I was in my I was in my twenties and I was devastated, like a little kid. Hmm. We used to uh, we used to have this place uh, in the middle of Piccadilly Circus here. Uh, it was kind of like an entertainment center called the Trocadero, where it had um, shops and a movie theater. And then um, during the '90s, you'd go up this escalator into um, like a sort of theme park slash arcade called Sega World, okay. which had um, loads and loads of arcade games, but also like you know this sort of weird virtual reality rides where like you sit in a uh, you, you sit in like an imitation cockpit, and then you yep. know it rocks around. You walk. You watch a video. Um, yeah, I've I've been to a couple of those at Six Flags and Universal. Yeah, eventually, of course, you know, Sega went bust. It was no longer Sega World. It became Fun World. They just changed the changed the sign slightly. Um, but there were so many amazing arcade games there. Like I remember playing a lot of Para Para Paradise, which is like Dance Dance Revolution, but with your arms. Um, but yeah, you know, it, eventually, it had, is, is that the one that has like a cross shaped uh, um, buttons in, in, instead of up down left right? Uh, I. I want to say that's Poppin' Music. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of Poppin' Music. I'm sorry. Yep. Para Para Paradise has like these, uh, it's got like these infrared sensors, um, which you swipe your arms in front of. Oh, I <laughs> did play that. I played one of those at MAGFest earlier this year. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah there's like, uh, there's like left and right ones and you swipe either above or below. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I did play that. And, um, 
Oh shoot! I remember it had a it had a song that I knew on it from a uh, uh, for, for, that was from an older game, which so I was excited to try that. But uh, yeah, that thing's weird. It took me uh, when I was first playing it, I didn't know how the buttons work, so I was trying to tap them or uh, or, <laughs> yeah. or find a button somewhere. But uh, so I, I was a disaster for the first song. But once I realized that you had to swipe above or below, I I did okay the rest of the time. But they, that, that's a that's a weird arcade game, and I it. They, there's one every year at the at Magfest, a convention I go to every every January. Oh, I need to get out there. Yeah, you do. My uh, my ex girlfriend bought the home version for PS2 with the um, <laughs> awesome, which, which had you know like a a floor plug-in version of those. Oh, um, weird. I was very jealous. <laughs> Maybe should have. But a yeah, ring the, on that that <laughs> that place. Uh, yeah, the 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 fun world. Um, it's it's closed down. You can't get up there anymore. But you can still see that the machines are up there, just untouched, uh, and unused for about a decade now, which is just heartbreaking. So there's Para Para Paradise, another RPG we wish would be localized in the present yes. day. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Konami, <laughs> make an RPG version. Yeah. Please, oh god, an RP- There haven't been very many RPG rhythm game hybrids, which seems like a shame. Unless, yeah. you, unless you count, you know, your Shadow Hearts or your Legend of Dragoon battle systems, which, <laughs> which we spent a couple of weeks about talking already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. Okay. Anything okay. more from you, Mike? Oh, um, oh, let me. I'll shout out the uh, the Dragon Quest Rocket Slam games. Oh, for yes. a second, yeah, because uh, we did get one of them. There, there were three uh, Dragon Quest Slime adventure games which i think are called mori mori slime adventure or something or like daibokan no slime or something in uh in japanese and uh we got the second one which is called dragon quest rocket slime in the united in uh in english but it was a gba a ds and then a 3ds game which basically are uh they they play a little bit like top down zelda games with some puzzles and actions and like recruiting and 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 collecting elements but then there was a the mini game of tank battling in the second one, which is the one that came out in English. And then they changed the tank aesthetic to a pirate ship aesthetic in the third one, which looked mm. super dope. Because I I thought Rocket Slime was uh, was really fun. And, Rocket Slime is outstanding. Yeah, and uh, and man, we only got one out of the three. So come on, Nintendo, come on, Square Enix, what are you doing? Well, maybe maybe we'll get a Rocket Slime Switch. You know, if I would not uh, object to that. I, I think. If, you... if... If the series trajectory is anything to be trusted, I think there's an incomplete translation of the GBA one somewhere out there, beneath hmm. the pale moonlight. But I, uh, I, uh, I never got deep into it. But I, I wouldn't object to another one of those because, um, yeah, Rocket Slime was excellent. Uh, it was just so expressive and adorable. Yeah, it, I mean, I mean, the Dragon Quest look in general is expressive and colorful and adorable. But this yeah. one, but um, I think. Uh, the mo like especially so in the monsters and uh, the Rocket Slime games are basically like a a celebration of the cute Dragon Quest art design by having a bunch of monsters do silly things in a uh, in a top down action RPG with with mini games. Even the I, bad guys you're kind of friendly with. It's mm-hmm. all like it's all like a bit of a lark for everybody in in yeah. Rocket Slime. It's it's very light hearted and fun. And if you like that Dragon Quest art design and uh, sort of Zelda ish gameplay. It's it's excellent. I uh, I wholeheartedly recommend people check out Rocket Slime and then, you know, frustratingly look at the other two games that don't have legally English translations. Uh, well, I guess before we finish up, um, I'll give a quick shout out to um, to a game, mostly just because I like the title, uh, which is um, get ready. It's one of the most wonderfully Japanese titles ever. Oh, I can't Dead, wait. Dead of the brain. 
Oh, man. Have you heard of these uh, games, Mike? I have not. Do tell. Uh, Dead of the Brain was a pair of, uh, of uh, Japanese-style adventure games. Uh, think along the lines of Snatcher, but um, heavily inspired by um, Night of the Living Dead and uh, Dawn of the Dead, respectively. So um, what system were they for and what era is around? Uh, they were, I want to say they were PC-98, but then the two of them got collected in one package um, for the PC Engine CD, and it was the last game ever released for the console, like super late, like 1999, oh. okay. about you know five years after they stopped making games for that machine. Um, and it's, it's extremely highly sought after, too. A, a, a copy will run you um, several hundred dollars the last time I checked. Of that, but, uh, of that collection slash remake? That's right, okay. yeah. Uh, which, you know, it brought it into glorious uh, 16-bit and added full voice acting. Um, they're a pair of just, you know, weird, gory Japanese-style adventure games. Um, and uh, maybe zombie fiction's getting a little bit oversaturated, but I think at the time I would have been thrilled to play a um, zombie horror game in the style of Snatcher. Um, so... That would be nice to see. Um, there's a little bit of Lovecraft in there, a little bit of like Herbert West reanimator kind of. That's kind of what's going on. You, uh, you're the assistant to a doctor who has uh, created a, uh, a a revival potion, and uh, it gets dumped in a graveyard, and everything goes terribly wrong. <laughs> and uh, these these were uh, these games were by a company called Fairy Tale, um, who uh, the, who still exist in some capacity, but it seems like they exclusively make. Um, let's say unsavory visual novels. I, I see. Okay. Yeah. But, we'll um, their audience, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, dead of the brain, they look cool. Um, I think, um, I think some of the people who worked on the police knots translation are trying to, trying to do things with it at the moment, but, um, I don't think they're making much headway. Cool. All right. And I guess I'll talk about one final game as well. Uh, I think, yeah. th- I think you and I have spoken about this game before, uh, out, uh, way before recording this podcast, um, and that is the very unusual Japan-only NES game, Lagrange Point. Oh yeah, right. yeah, we did talk about that like maybe a couple of years ago. Yeah, now. We, we talked about it a couple of years ago, and the reason I'm interested in that game is it ba- almost exclusively because of its audio. Because yeah, uh, famously, uh, there's multiple versions of the NES sound chips or the Famicom sound chips, and the company that did the most with them by far is Konami. They had three versions of the old Famicom sound chips that went beyond uh, what Capcom and Nintendo and other companies that were doing late-era NES games uh, were, were ever doing. And they released four games on their last two versions of that audio software, I'm sorry, audio hardware, that uh, that actually went beyond four-channel audio. Um Three games had uh, added an extra channel for just sound effects. Like a, in in most NES games, there's only four channels of audio. So when uh, well, you'll have the background music playing, but then whenever Mario jumps or Mega Man shoots or something, they'll cut out the base of the audio just to include the sound effect of the action. Yeah. And uh, and but these last four games on the on the VCR, I'm sorry, VRC six and VRC seven uh, sound sets that Konami made had additional channels just for the action sequences. And Lagrange Point, which is the only game on VRC7, actually was a six-channel audio NES game. So it... It sounds really impressive. It, it sounds super weird. It sounds like um, like 
like a mid-era Genesis game almost because they uh, because they did stuff with um, that integrated circuit that no other NES game could do. So it it the tones you get out of it does not sound like an NES game. A little bit like the NES version of Action Fifty Two that samples It Takes Two. No, <laughs> not not like that at all. <laughs> all right, well I, I haven't heard that before, but it it sounds very unusual and uh, and Aeon Genesis the. Uh, 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 Gideon Z, the, the uh, fan translator that we mentioned earlier in this podcast, did release a full translation of Lagrange Point a couple of years ago, which is probably around when you and I were talking about it. Like, hey man, did you, did you hear this Lagrange Point thing? They're actually, they actually they yeah. actually finished a translation of it. And did you play much of it? I played the very beginning. It is a little rough. It feels like Mother One or an or like a late NES era Dragon Quest game. In which yeah, it's case, a Japanese, it's yeah. a Japanese uh, NES RPG. <laughs> exactly. So it's uh, <laughs> it, it's a little rough from that angle playing uh, playing it, but um, I mean a science fiction RPG about early space exploration. I'm checking a wiki article now. It's set in the year twenty in the uh, uh, in the twenty one hundreds. And is um, it's a rare, uh, rare um, setting for that time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and there's and all of the characters are androids or aliens or uh, or sort of you know pilot types that you would see in say a, say a Macross anime. So and it has a, it has a very cool aesthetic around to it uh, as well. And it's um you know a Konami RPG from that era, which is also uncommon since Konami didn't release a ton of RPGs relative to its action game lineup. I want to say that. Like between Lagrange Point and Suikoden, and there weren't any. Maybe not. I might be, I'm not, I might be I'm wrong. Not sure. I'm I, not. I am far from a Konami expert. Most of, I mean, probably half of the Konami games I have played are Castlevania ones. But mm. it, but it, it, it looks neat. It has a. It, it again, like I think the easiest comparison is probably Dragon Quest Four, since they're both late era NES games, and it's not as broken as Mother One, which isn't saying a lot. Oh. But I, kind of, I kind of hate Mother One. I've tried to play that game like three times. Yeah, I, I think Itui doesn't really care about it either, no, <laughs> since he, um, you know he just put in a bunch of monsters at the end. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's a shame because Earthbound and Mother Three are great, but Mother One is busted. So I, anyway... I think I think Earthbound kind of you know that supersedes Mother One. Mother One almost seems like a proof of concept when compared to Earthbound. Right, it's like uh, Earthbound was the game he wanted to make, and Mother and Mother One is a uh, yeah. is a mess. And and we uh, ordinarily I would include Mother One in in uh in this episode, but we actually did get a get a legal release of it in English. Yeah, finally. Um, but any anyway, Lagrange Point is I think the most interesting thing about it is its audio. But for as a curiosity and as you know an interesting NES RPG, I think it makes it uh, it deserves a mention in this episode. And shoot, sure. I just tripped over probably a game we should have mentioned an hour ago, and that's Mother oh, Three. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. We yeah. can't really after mention after mentioning Mother One, we can't really let this finish without mentioning Mother Three. No, and I, <laughs> I have played the fan translation of Mother Three that uh, that Starman.net put out. And yeah, it's, Clyde Mandolin. Yeah, it's it's excellent, and um, and of course I ha- I have to love a game where there's two henchmen named Skinhead and Neckbeard. <laughs> but the uh, but it it is weird and beautiful, and the um rhythm game stuff in it I almost never was successful in because the emulation for timing of that was uh, never uh. very was never very good. I heard it was better if you played it on a, on an actual GBA, but mm. Mother 3 is super cool and I would love for it to get a release on 3DS or Switch or so, or somewhere because that game's excellent. I mean, I, I see a lot of people think that it's coming. They I mean, well they've been saying that for years now. Oh like, oh it's going to get announced soon. I mean, do you think it's ever going to come out? You know, um, 
I think there's I think Nintendo is obviously aware of the demand and I think that they've probably talked about about it internally but for some reason the economics or the math didn't work out that they thought they couldn't make money but if I, mean, the, I, I think if the switch is a huge success and and that and the possibility for that is absolutely there even because I mean the 3ds has been huge but the uh, the Wii U has not but the switch seems primed to be successful I think if the switch is huge and um, and their uh, their downloads of uh, like the, the the Switch's version of the of this virtual console is successful, we could get it. I, I don't know, it, it, but if you think they were interested in putting it out, they would have done it on the uh, on the on the 3DS, right? Yeah. Um, now, I don't want to be right about this. I mean, call me. Maybe I'm. I hope I'm just being pessimistic, but mm-hmm. I can't really ever see it coming out in English. Um, you know. It's an extremely political game. Um, yes. I, you know, Shigesato Itoi, he, he makes no secret uh, of his, you know, in his uh, written work, as well as, you know, Mother 3, he's made no secret of his uh, political tendencies. And Mother 3 is, it's really like almost a polemic against capitalism. And seeing a company as big as Nintendo and as, um, a company who tries to be as politically neutral as they can in the West, uh, it would just it, it would really really surprise me if they put out something as politically charged as Mother Three in uh, in an official capacity. But, but that's just me. Maybe I don't. I would be really pleasantly surprised if they did. But. And also, I guess because I mean, uh, Nintendo is a very socially conservative company in a lo- company in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I I see where you're coming from, but I, I think that because Mother 3 is so obviously fantasy, then I don't think releasing it would consist, would be enough of a political statement to really, to really rock the boat much. But, sure. Uh, but, um, but you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, um, Itoi is a copywriter and essayist who is, who does not make any secret of his, um, of his political tendencies. And there's a little bit of that in Earthbound as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, but, but Mother it's 3... It's very, very noticeable here. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, there's a, uh, there's a character that basically... Um, destroys a society with uh, with devices that that sort of incite capitalism in a way, but also re- re- uh, resemble televisions. Yeah, you um, you have to have to buy, have to buy it and put it in your house to hypnotize you. You know, otherwise <laughs> we'll we'll strike your house with lightning every night until you buy one. Yeah, it's it, pretty and, extreme. Uh, yeah, and, and that character also has a a secret that makes you know that makes a different part of the game very interesting. Oh, uh, I for, I forgot about those yeah, I'm, characters. I, I'm, I'm I don't I don't want to I don't want to spoil this game because people really no, should that... people really even though it's old people should experience it for themselves. Yeah. But uh, Mother Three is super good. It's probably my favorite game that we have talked about today, other than Second Insetsu Three. And it's outstanding. It, it's it's really excellent, and it um it feels like Earthbound's tone, but it's a hundred percent original on its own, and you unlock doors with monkey dances, and and you, ah, oh, this game. Mother Three is great. People should play it, and I would love for it to get an official localization. And I'm, I, I'm a little. I guess I'm a little more optimistic on that possibility than you are, but I'm. It's still very uncertain. Well, um, Clyde Mandolin, he who isn't just a fan translator, but is also a um, professional localizer. Uh, who I think the most recent thing he did was he translated Attack on Titan. Uh, he oh, cool. offered. 
he offered Nintendo to have the translation for free, uh, and they were not interested. So I, I suppose remember, I remember seeing that news report. I suppose they would have reasons for that. But. Yeah, and 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 that kind of thing is uh, is not unprecedented because, it, um, like well, let's roll it back to Exeed a little bit. Um, the hmm. Oath and Felgana was a fan translation or- originally, and there was a uh, and they basically. Um, the fan translators are basically contracted by Exceed so they could use that fan translation and just and just tune it up and re-encode it basically. And that That's was right. that was a little. There was also some controversy around that because evidently the translator was paid and what, some of the other people that worked on it didn't feel like they were recognized enough. So uh, they, yeah, they, yeah. They, I, I There's don't know. one certain person. I don't uh. know. Yeah, I don't know all the details about it, but it it, it got it got a little messy. And yeah. uh, and maybe they're Nintendo's trying to avoid a situation like that because they don't want to bring in independent contractors. Because when was the last time you heard of an independent uh, of of like Treehouse going outside of the Treehouse to localize something? It's I, that would basically be unprecedented in recent years. Mm, Pokemon Sun and Moon was outside Treehouse. Oh, oh it was okay. Well, never mind. Is... I stand corrected. But it, what, the... what, I'm not sure who that is though. I think it might be a Nintendo of Japan branch. So okay. still inside. Still, Mother Three, maybe one of the crown jewels of unlocalized Japanese RPGs. And you and I have both played it and both really like it, so... Yeah, so I can't I, recommend it enough. I mean, I think everybody who likes JRPGs needs to play it at I some think, point. I think you should probably play Earthbound first. I would, I would, oh, yeah. I would say Earthbound and Mother 3 are both crucial, but they're, I mean, two all-time classics that absolutely should be played. Yeah, definitely. Because it, it's, I mean, it's definitely a follow-up to Earthbound. I mean, I mean, uh, Pokey slash Porky is in are in both is in both games. Yeah, um, personally, I prefer Earthbound, uh, but I I think that you know I just like the scope of uh, although it's it's a, a lighter and less serious game. I just like the scope of that adventure of you know being the the Midwestern kid who goes out to see the world and and travels all over the place. Whereas Mother Three is a little bit more. It's a little bit uh, more like absurdist fantasy. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure which game I like more because uh, Mother Three has a lot of cooler ideas that would were not present in in 1993 or whenever Earthbound was made. Oh, mechanically, it's way superior. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Mechani- and I and a lot of my enjoyment of Earthbound, you know, today because I haven't played it in over ten years at least, is a is nostalgia tinted. But they're both they're both excellent, and I, I mean, they're a hell of a double act playing them back to back. Yeah. So, uh, thanks so much for listening, people. Um, this has been Mike Solosi and Robert Fenner of RPG Fan, and this is Retro Encounter. If you want to um, rate and review Retro Encounter on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, we deeply appreciate it. That that it, that allows the show to get out to more people. Um, and in the next couple of weeks, we are going to be talking about Chrono Trigger. That's the official game that uh, Retro Encounter game we're playing in February and March, so you'll get two episodes of those very soon. And I think we're also doing an episode about our favorite Final Fantasy games, where basically... That's going to get heated, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be four... <laughs> it's, it's gonna, it won't be quite as bad as the podcast that shall not be named, but uh, it's going to be four of us just arguing about what the best Final Fantasy game is, so that that, that could get a little hairy. So Eight gonna... is best. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that one's not going to make the top five. If I'm hosting the episode, it won't. <laughs> but the... Uh... Yeah, that'll come later this month. It's, it's a very heavy square month, I suppose. It's uh, no bad. March 2017. But I, 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 not bad at all. So, uh, Robert, where can people find you on social media or elsewhere? 
Uh, people could find me on Twitter at MissAnthroBob and on the forums at as TownsCarMarty. And you also have a dope podcast called Misanthro Play, which I'm gonna, which I am going to let you plug. Oh, oh, aren't you a sweetheart? Yes. <laughs> um, check us out on Twitter at Misanthro Play, I've and only... um, yeah, we talk about old games. I've only listened to a couple of episodes, but they were entertaining listens. Oh, thank you very much. You're welcome. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I am at the Real Monsoon and at Evoker for Dogs. The second one is mostly for my more, you know, niche discussion topics or long Twitter rants. So that's maybe don't follow that Twitter account. So I've been Mike Solosi. This has been Robert Fenner. Thank you. Good night and good luck. Ta ta.